Good morning to all of you. Good morning to all of you that are watching online and especially just want to say good morning to Jim and Carla. Yay. And uh, let them know again that we're praying for them and praying for others as well during these times of trials. And uh, Jim is, is doing... Jim is doing all right, but you know, being immobile and uh, not being able to move and stuff is, is, a, is a challenge regardless of who you are, and uh, we just need to pray for Carla yeah. <laughs> as she takes care of Jim and makes sure that Jim stays put. Anyway, we're glad that you're all here. And uh, we continue our study on repentance. Repentance uh, sounds like a, a kind of a, a big word, and we've mentioned it before. Repentance is basically the Greek word metanoia. And the re Greek word metanoia means to change your mind. Change your mind. So we're talking about changing our minds, about lots of things. And today... I wanted to talk to you a little bit about church growth. And there's a couple of things that I think are important here. Number one, church growth, uh, when you think about church growth, most people think about numerical growth and all that. And I just want to encourage you today to know something unique and special because church growth is not about the growth of a um, personality Church growth is not about the growth of a special ministry or group within the, within the church. Church growth for the whole church has to do with the church growing up. And uh, the church growing up is what church growth is all about. So we're going to talk about that today because I want you to have a whole different idea of church growth and I want you to be involved in the process of the church growing up. So today we want to start off with this very important fact. Very important fact. Church growth is the sovereign work of Jesus Christ. The sovereign work of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Remember, Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And then he turned to his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? And Simon came up with this brilliant, brilliant, miraculous declaration. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter said, Nobody gave that to you. My father gave that to you, Jesus said to him. And so he says, I also pray that you are Peter, and on this rock, this truth, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Notice in this verse, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Now, over the years, over all these many years of ministry, I've gone to church growth conferences. And uh, when I was younger, I was interested in all the, the various things that had to do with a church growth conference and uh, implementing everything so you can grow, right? And uh, I don't know exactly when it was, but I, I found out over the course of these years, I came to realize 
It's his church. And Jesus is going to build his church. And it doesn't always look the same. It doesn't always uh, do the same thing as other churches that are growing do. But the church has significant things that remain the same. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been part of a church that's, that's experienced growth or not. But uh, spiritual, genuine growing up. But I, I, I just want to say that there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's a sovereign work of God in Christ Jesus. Let me read to you Hebrews 13.9. It's not on your notes, but I want to read it to you. He says, don't be distracted or attracted by strange new ideas. Your spiritual strength comes as a gift from God. A gift from God. Not from ceremonial rules about eating certain foods. A method which, by the way, hasn't helped those who've tried it. <laughs> so, church growth, boil it down, is a work of God. It's Jesus' work. It's his church. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They won't stand against it. It's an offensive statement. It's not a defensive statement. Jesus is building his church. He's taking back territory. Amen. And the gates of hell and none of, none of the powers of hell can stand against him. Amen. Secondly, church growth can be seen by the things that he has created. Yeah. The things he has created. Now, I want you to notice this because it is something that a lot of people just don't see for a while, and it's important that you get it. And I'm going to read it in the message uh, paraphrase, Romans 1, 19 to 23. He said, But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Look at this. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created. Let me read that again. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what, with what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. In other words, if you want to understand spiritual things, Look at the things that God has made. Look at creation if you want to understand spiritual things. And church growth is no different. If you want to understand what church growth is and how it works and what it's about, you just need to look at what God has made and created and how does that work? How does that work? So we're going to do that today. Nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They got lost. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. Pretending they knew, they knew everything, but they didn't know anything at all. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside wow. stand. Wow. 
So would you rather look at what God created and find out what works, or do you want to go buy a trinket? You can have it your way. You know, you can go buy a trinket. You can go buy CDs. You can go buy all kinds of stuff that tell you about church growth. You can put it together. You can produce it. You can actually get out and start to make it happen. You can start hyping it, make a big deal out of it so everybody knows the church is growing. And take all that pressure on yourself and experience not the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of displeasure and work and all the things that go with it. So the third thing, the third thing this morning, church growth is getting the proper nourishment. It all starts with nourishment. And by the way, we're not talking about one part of the church. We're talking about all parts of the church. The church needs nourishment. Again, if you want to understand spiritual things, you understand physical things. So you take, for example, the life of a child that's born into this world. What do they need? They need certain things in order to survive. They need good nourishment. They need rest. They need all those things. They need a constant uh, uh, referral from parents and people who love them about things that they should and shouldn't do. And they need those things said over and 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 over again. You never stop. Never stop. I remember thinking when we had kids, will they ever get it? Will they ever get it? I remember when, when Candace was born, uh, she missed the Sunday after she was born. She was home with Ruth. And I remember Charles, uh, one of the men in the church, came to me after the service and he said, so where's your daughter? I said, she's home with her mother. She just got, she was just born. He said, what, you're going to wait till she grows up to make her decision whether she's going to go to church or not? <laughs> I said, no, next week, next week. Anyway, she was there next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. And so were all the others. But the point is that, that uh, kids need nourishment. So therefore, Matthew 4, 1 to 4, when Jesus was, was uh, being, being tested by the serpent, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Don't you love the Bible? <laughs> the Bible makes it so natural and so specific. Now, if some human being had written that, they would say after 40 days and 40 nights, he was dripping with sweat, he was worn out, he was hungry and all this other stuff. But it just says after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Makes sense, right? Yeah. When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said to him, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So human beings physically need nourishment. Spiritually, as God's children, we need nourishment as well. And you can't, you can't just survive on one, one meal a week. It won't do you. Amen. And yet there's a lot of people, the majority of people, who survive from Sunday to Sunday. I got to go get fed. And you know, I, I keep thinking to myself, what do you mean you're going to come to church and get fed? Haven't you eaten all week? No wonder you're a mess. You need to feed yourself every single 
day. Every day. Try that physically and see how your body reacts. 1 Peter 2.2 As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So a child needs that pure milk when they start off and that milk needs to grow into other types of foods. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I love Jeremiah 15, 16, one of my favorite verses. Your words were found and I ate them and they were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Your words were found and I ate them. You know, there's an interesting thing. Sometimes in the New Testament, John ate the scriptures, he ate the word. And when he first ate it, it was sweet, but then it became bitter to his stomach because of that which was being communicated by God. But it's still food for nourishment. Psalm 119 and verse 50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your word has given me life. Or Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, when I say you have to feed yourself every day, let me just encourage you. That doesn't mean that you have to go and cook a steak every day. Feeding yourself every day means that you need to have nourishment, spiritual nourishment. And that can come in small little bites. It can come in, in uh, some additional uh, delicacies as well from the Word. But you have to feed yourself spiritually from the Word. So it's nourishment, nourishment from God's Word. And it's nourishment for yourself, not nourishment for somebody else. Do you know what an L-shaped amen is? I'll tell you. If you take a, a, your finger and you draw an L, an L-shaped amen, that's when you take something that you hear and you think, man, this is really good for... It's an L-shaped amen. You get it, but then you decide, oh, this is really going to be good for X, Y, and Z. This is good for them. They really need it. Well, you need, you need what's good for you. You need to take it as being from God for you. Uh, the nourishment that you get every day during the week is what God provides for you. And sometimes after you take that nourishment, you need to meditate on it. Meditation is, is very important. It's rehearsing it over and over and over and over again. A couple nights ago, I, 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 I was telling Ruth, I said, you know, I, I don't know. I just had a rough night. I said, I was up most of the night meditating and working on this message, and it just, it's all gobbledygook. You know, it's not coming together yet. Anyway, uh, but it's just a process that you have to go through, kind of like... Uh, like cows, you know, they, they chew and they have, a, they have multiple stomachs. Anyway, they chew, swallow, and then they yeah, regurgitate, and then they chew and they swallow. They do it over and over and over again. You need to do the same thing with the Word of God. Take it, partake of it, and then you need to meditate on it. Take every bit of nourishment you can from it, just like your body does all of that which you put into your mouth. It's not only about nourishment, it's about exercise. 
Church growth is getting proper exercise. You have to use it in order to make it effective. You have to use it. You have to implement it. You have to do what it's telling you to do. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, he says, For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature. Solid food is for those who are mature. What's the difference between solid food and milk? What's the difference between steak and milk? As far as the Bible is concerned, the difference is really simple. If you're on solid food, it means that you have the ability to, to discern between that which was right and that which is wrong. You, you, can, you can decide what you should and should not do based on what God has communicated. If you're not doing that, then you're still on milk. Still on milk. Listen to this paraphrase from, from uh, the same passage in Hebrews. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and they'll chase mirages. But you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. So it's so important not just to take the word, but to practice the word. And there's a lot of things that the word of God teaches us. You know, you, you, you see some things repeated over and over again, and you see them also repeated by parents when it comes to their children. You talk, about, you talk about the need to forgive, the need to love, the need to extend grace to, to your siblings and so on. Uh, it, is, it is quite a miraculous thing that, that children survive childhood. I know there's a law against it that says thou shalt not kill. You know, but parents, they really come on the verge often of that because it just drives them crazy. Anyway, uh, so parents, they are there to, to substantiate and to communicate what the, what the truths are that their kids need to learn. And again, they do them over and over again so their children will learn. And it's amazing how the children keep coming back to the same thing. And you can just hear it. I hear it now with my kids, with their kids. You know, they'll be sitting there talking. They'll say, did I tell you? You remember I said, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh boy, <laughs> you know, I remember those days. I remember those days well. Anyway, so they, they, com they are sharing with their children, and the same thing is true spiritually. You need people to share and to encourage you to continue to do the right things, to forgive, to love, to be kind, and so on to do the right things, and to be disciplined about them as well. Number five, church growth is relating with proper discipline. Proper discipline. This is a, this is a, a powerful, powerful truth. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11 says the following. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, 
but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And then in the passage, all a number of gifts are listed. And then it goes on to say, verse 11, It is the one and only Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So God is responsible for the growth of the church. Jesus is the one who's building his church. And the Spirit is gifting the people in the church in order to help them to grow as they share their gifts with one another. Ephesians 4 says the same thing, verses 14 to 16. He says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He, Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God has given you a certain gift mix. A certain gift mix. You have at least one gift. You have multiple gifts. The Spirit of God gives to you. And you, as you share that, your special gift mix, whatever it might be, with the rest of the body, you share it so that the rest of the body will grow. And that's true all across the board. Everybody in the body of Christ has gifts. Do you know what gifts you have? Do you know what kind of a package you have? Do you know what God has blessed you with? Do you know what to do in order to share that with others so others can grow? There's these, there's these uh, ideas also about, about uh, the church and, and growth in the church that, that are really mistaken uh, and sometimes very unhealthy. The church is so diverse and so unique that when you read 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, you find that God has made us all unique and all special and all very different. And God has given us to one another so that we can influence and encourage one another. We're not all the same. We're not a bunch of clones. Amen. We don't look the same. We don't talk the same. You know, we just, we just operate by the Spirit of God in a unique and special way. And it's so important for us to do that because otherwise it doesn't make any sense for us to stay or hang out here. But because we're different and unique, we have an effective place and a role within the body of Christ. Let me read this in the Amplified Version. He says, From the whole body, the church, in all its various parts, joined and knitted firmly together by what every joint supplies, when each part is working properly, causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. So you have, to, you have to identify what your gifts are and you don't have to know exactly what they all are, but you have to have an idea that you have certain gifts and those gifts need to be shared with somebody else. 
If all you do is go around and say, I've got this gift and I've got this gift and I've got this gift, and now everybody knows that you've got the gift, well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? We have been greatly blessed. I, I, uh, I appreciate so much the comments that, that we receive. As far as Martha goes, you know, uh, even, even, even the younger kids come up and say, man, you can really sing. You know, Martha's like an angel. She's our resident angel. And uh, so are some others here as well. But it would, it would be of no good to anybody if she didn't sing. If she didn't use the gifts that God give, gave her, it would do none of us any good whatsoever. We would just be begging and, and asking her to, you know, sing us a song, please, you know. Um, it's so important. Check out Colossians 2.19. Write this down. It's not in your notes, but it says, He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. With growth from God. God is in the process of building His body, building the church. Jesus is building His church. How about 2 Corinthians 9.10? Again, write this down. God is the one who gives seed to those who plant. And he gives bread for food. And God will give you spiritual seed and make that seed grow. Did you read that? Did you hear that? God, God will give you spiritual seed and make that seed grow. Who's going to make it grow? God is. God will give you the seed and God will make it grow. He will produce a great harvest from your goodness, from that seed. He will do that. Especially if it's all about Him and not all about you. <laughs> Point number six uh, this morning, church growth occurs within the community of faith. And this is really a, a very important one. You remember, uh, it's been now maybe... Uh, couple years since we went through the the real uh the real mess of covid and nobody went anywhere nobody did anything everybody just kind of quit we had we had services by reservation and we put chairs here and there groups of two and three and uh, people would come and they would sit and so on finally we we went away from that but community is so essential to the church you are a member of the body of Christ and you can be not part of that body. I understand and we, we are blessed because we have, we have the ability for people to join us online. And we thank God for you and we thank God that you're joining us wherever you are. We have people in Europe that are watching. We have people that are in other parts of the United States that are watching. We have people in the Middle East that are watching. We rejoice in all of that, but let me say to all of you online, as I remind all of you here in person, the church is not about you individually meeting with yourself. You can have a little, tardy, little tea party with you, yourself, and I, and it's not the church. That's why Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, I'm there in the midst when it comes to prayer. Jesus is there. We need to gather in community, and church growth occurs in community. 
where can you forgive someone else except in community? Where can you get in trouble and in conflict than in community? When can you have a difficult time except when you're in community? The principles that are in the Word of God apply in community. They work in community. We need them. We need God. We need the truth of His Word in community. And we're going to spend in community for a long time when we get to heaven. Thank God for that day. There'll be no more crying up there and no more tears and no more this and no more that. Brand new bodies. Hallelujah. <laughs> but until we get there, we've got to live here. And we've got to live amongst one another. We have to forgive and love and care for one another. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 43. He says, Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. In community. In community. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't work when you're by yourself. It doesn't mean that God can't come in a miraculous way to do the impossible that you need when you're alone. We're thankful for that because you're never alone. He's always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. But when it comes to growth and when it comes to the body of Christ, it is a body. Every part needs every other part in the body. Acts chapter 19, verses 18 to 20, he says, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Before I go any further, I just want to share um, a story that I experienced myself uh, a long time ago now, but uh, it's significant. Because I saw, I saw Jesus build his church in a significant and a very revolutionary way. I saw people coming and growing spiritually, learning the word, being nourished every, every day by themselves. I saw them sharing their gifts and their abilities with one another. I saw, as we shared meetings together, I saw, I saw people who because of their schedules, they worked, they worked uh, two weeks and then they had a week off and so on. They worked rotation, rotating schedules in a little tiny community called Baghdad, Arizona, in the mining town. And uh, so we had, we had services all kinds of weird hours. We had meetings in homes, uh, really strange times, you know, two, three in the morning because people weren't working, so they'd come. And, uh, and we saw so many things happening. But I remember one night, this Acts 19 reminds me, one night we were sitting there and we had this meeting and we decided, you know what we ought to do? We ought to have a bonfire just like they did. And you guys bring all your stuff and just, and just burn it. Burn the stuff that you shouldn't have. 
the stuff that you know God wants you to get rid of. And so we we met, we had a start of a fire, a bonfire, and people brought all their stuff with them. Nobody said, what did you bring? Nobody said, oh, oh my goodness, did you see that? You know? I mean, sometimes you could smell something. It was kind of weird, you know? But we just let that pass and realized, oh, it must have been weed or something, you know? Anyway, <laughs> but we came and, and people were, were just taking the stuff that they brought from home and throwing it in the fire. They were giving it all up. They were letting it all go. And so many other experiences like this where people, people were coming to Christ all the time uh, and it's just a phenomenal thing to watch. And the thing that was so impressive, impressive to me was I did not have anything to do with their growth. I didn't have anything to do personally with making it happen. I remember when we went to Baghdad, Ruth and I, we went and there were, I don't know, there were like 20 some people there at the church and and um, we just started meeting and having having fun just started taking the word of God and saying look you got to take the word of God and you got to use it you got to apply it to your life and I remember as we did this on a regular basis things just start happening because Jesus said I will build my church in response to their nourishment in response to their disciplines in response to the individuals within the church doing the things that God wanted them to do. Not doing the things that Bob told them to do. Doing what God wanted them to do. Check out this. It's also not in your notes. Write it down. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. My brothers and sisters, I cannot address you as people who walk by the Spirit. I have to speak to you as people who, don't, who tend to think in merely human terms as spiritual infants in the anointed one. I nursed you with milk as a mother would feed her baby because you were not and still are not developed enough to digest complex spiritual food. And here's why. Are you still living in the flesh, not in the spirit? How do I know? Are you fighting with one another? Are you comparing yourselves to others and becoming consumed with jealousy? Then it sounds like you are living in the flesh, no different from the rest who live by the standards of this rebellious and broken world. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I can't talk to you as spiritual. You guys still need milk. You're not doing the stuff you ought to do. See, you can have mental libraries that are huge you can have the ability to take the word of god and to to uh, do word studies and all kinds of stuff in the word of god but if you don't take the word of god and allow the word of god to penetrate your life and use it it's of no value there are plenty of people with degrees they're dying by degrees It's better not to have a degree. It's better to take the Word of God and apply it to your life. So uh, let me just give you a, a, a quick thought here. I was trying to figure out where to share this. I'll do it now. There's a difference between your devotions and your taking the Word on a regular basis every day for you. 
and what we do on Sunday. There's a difference. On Sunday, we get together for the purpose of having a banquet. <coughs> we come together, and the music team, worship team practices, and they prepare a worship celebration so that when we come together, we celebrate, we worship, and we have a blast. We take the Word of God and we share it with you. And what we do on Sundays with the Word of God is, I, I have, over the years, I have come to the place where I evaluate, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? The Bible tells me that my purpose is to preach the Word my purpose is to communicate the word, but specifically, what is my purpose on Sundays? When you read the scriptures, it says that my purpose as the pastor and the teaching pastor of the Sunday service, my purpose is to do what? It is to help you to understand what you ought to do, how to live. It's my responsibility to equip you, to equip you. I mean, we can go through word studies if you want. We can have expository preaching until you're blue in the face. I remember somebody coming to me one time and saying, you know, we really like expository preaching. Why don't you do that? Well, I, I have occasionally done that when the Spirit of God leads me to do that. But there's so much available out there for you to do your own expository studies. There's a book on everything. There are commentators coming out of the walls out there. You have the ability to go and to learn and to study. You can come back on Sundays and say, Bob, I found this about this word in this word study that I did. You can do all of that. When I was first a Christian, it was very limited, but man, it's just all over the place now. Regardless, my purpose here is not to press on you a certain type of study. My purpose is to equip you. So we're doing a study on repentance because I want you to understand what it means to change your mind, to think differently. Think differently about yourself. Think differently about sin. Think differently about all the things that we've covered so far. Think differently about church growth. Church growth if you look for a church that's growing so you can go be part of it, you just stunted their growth. <laughs> because if you're going for that purpose, you're going to hurt it. You're going to hurt it. What you need to do is to just dig in where you are and watch it. Watch it grow. Grow yourself. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and to good works. So we stir one another to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And let me remind you again, the church is a community. The church is designed to come together. And so if you have not found a place, those of you who are online, if you haven't found a place yet to go and be part of, whether it's to come back to Pinnacle or to go somewhere else, you need to make that a priority for yourself to find a place where you can do church with other believers in community. Very important. Um, anyway, he says, 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching, the time is drawing near. It is coming closer and closer and closer. So you need to be prepared. You need to encourage others as well in that, in that process. And then the last one this, this morning, the church growth requires that we rest and trust in Jesus. Don't get frustrated about church growth. Jesus said, I will build my church. I remember going through this process uh, of these years of ministry. There were times when I would get really frustrated and get really annoyed because the church was not growing as I thought it ought to grow wasn't doing what I thought it ought to do. And I remember getting frustrated by those things. Anyway, over the course of time, I've realized that that's not my problem. It's not my church. Although sometimes I think it is, but it's not my church. It's his church. It's his church, and he's in the process of building his church. I need to let him do his job. And there's times when God cannot and Jesus cannot build his church because there's work that has to be done within the body. There's things that have to happen before he can bring about the kind of growth that he wants to bring about. Anyway, so we need to rest in the Lord. We need to rest in the Lord. Just chill in Jesus, okay? 1 Peter 1, 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I love that. Gird up the loins of your mind. Roll up your brain. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You need to just rest your hope fully upon the grace of God. Rest in Him. Rest in Him. Don't get excited. Don't get all flustered. Just rest. Just chill out. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. I love this. In each church they appointed elders, and with prayers and fasting they commended them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So they started churches, and in these churches they, they set aside men who would come to be their elders and as they committed them to the Lord, they relaxed in their decision-making process and they trusted in the Lord. The Lord is the one in whom they trusted. But I want you to notice uh, this verse. Write it down at the bottom of your notes. Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And I'm reading from the voice uh, paraphrase. He says, If you think that simply hopping in the Jordan will cleanse you, you're sorely mistaken. Your life must bear the fruits of turning toward righteousness, the fruits of repentance, the fruit of changing your mind. Now, I'm going to give you a brief question and just let you meditate it all week. What has changed about you? What has changed about you? What have you done? What have you read in the scriptures that has impacted you? How have you changed in the last week, in the last month, in the last year? What has happened in your life? What's different? What's different? He says, 
your life must bear fruits of turning toward righteousness, fruits of repentance, fruits of changing your mind. Nor are you correct if you think that being descended from Abraham is enough to make you holy and right with God, yes. The children of Abraham are God's chosen children, but God can adopt as daughters and sons anyone he likes. He can turn these stones into sons if he likes. God can do what God wants to do. So we have to be ready and willing to let him do that. But the question is, is there fruits that's being displayed about changing your thinking? Fruits of repentance. If there are not fruits of repentance evident in your life, that means you're not changing. That means you're not repenting. That means that revival and growth is unlikely. It's very critical that you take this on for yourself. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the elder's job. It's not anybody else's job. It's not your husband's job. It's not your wife's job to fix you, to change you, to make you. It is you and you alone who look into the perfect law of liberty, as James says. You look into the Word. You take from the Word and you apply it to your life. You eat it. You meditate on it. It changes you. You're not the same person when that happens. You become a different person. Old things are gone and everything has become new. But it's a process. It's a process. Some things happen really quick. I like that. It's so easy when it happens really quick. I used to, but now I don't. Simple. But what about you used to and you still do? What about you think certain ways and you still think the same ways? You need to rethink your life. That's what this series is all about. You need to allow God to change you and transform you a little bit at a time. Let me just end with this one thought. You don't have to fix everything right now. You don't have to go home from this message, take out a blank piece of paper, and write down all the things that have to change. That's right. You say thank you, Jesus, to that. You don't have to do that. Here's what you do. You go and you say, Lord, what do I change first? Lord, what do I change first? Listen. Lord, what do I change first? Pay attention. When you ask God a question like that, guess what? He'll tell you. And when he tells you, you say, okay, this is it right here. This is what I need to change. I need to change my thinking about this. And then ask him to help you. Say, Lord, will you please help me with this? I've been stuck on this my whole life. I've got to get this changed. And by your grace, by your power in my life, the seed you give, the seed you cause to grow, that seed will transform me and it will accomplish its purpose. And so you begin, little piece at a time, to transform and to change your thinking, to repent, to repent. It's my prayer, as we go through this next week, we'll have a lot of repentance that'll go on, a lot of changing the way we think about little things, because you change a little, and those little things will become big.
and make a huge difference in your life. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that we look at together. We thank you that you are in the process of building your church. We rejoice in that. And we thank you, Father, today that we have opportunity to come and to celebrate you, to learn about you, and to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you will minister to us even as we close, as we open our arms to you and say, Lord, show me. You show me today what it is specifically that you want to do in my life. And then, Father, we just pray and give you permission to do it. Come and do it. In Jesus' name.